Hi there, just a little intro before the intro to say that this episode was meant to go out last week. I've been feeling a little bit under the weather and as a result its release has been delayed. There might be some slight editing due to situations, circumstances having changed but hopefully it won't sound too choppy and um, well no more than you're used to anyway. On with the show. It's been buried for ages. How can we make it work? Maybe my magic can stop. He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. They make a part in about time too about not playing the NDE. It was free for all and I heard him say he bought my borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick cause you're incapable Hello, I'm Spencer, a.k.a. Free Thrall, and this is Keep Off the Borderlands. So I want to start off with a couple of um, call-ins regarding the discussion of academic issues, which I think lead in nicely to what I want to talk about today. Hey Spencer, just listening to your Bucket Half Full episode, a little bit behind, just to say I enjoy I enjoy it when you get a little bit theoretical, but then I am one of those people who does enjoy reading and debating the academic papers. They do exist. They are out there. Jason makes a very good point. Um, Pretty much all of the academic theory on games is about video games. There is virtually nothing that has been written academically about RPGs. There is quite a big gap <laughs> I've spotted there, but you know, there really is nothing. Um, a lot of the stuff, uh, you know, you'll hear Chase citing or other people citing has all been written about video games. Jason makes a good point. Chris McDowell, similarly, actually, he doesn't cite, but he does derive i'm afraid and a lot of what he derives again comes from the um the academic theory of video game design and sometimes sometimes that's why it is a little bit of an odd fit um, because there just aren't enough academic theorists who have devoted time to rpgs that will probably shift as everything is shifting with the great fifth ed explosion i think you can expect to see more sort of bespoke RPG game theory. Hey Dave, great to hear from you. Missing deeper centile already, I've got to say. Um, yeah, it's interesting what you say there about um, most of this stuff being written about about video games. I'm assuming, well, I mean, from that, I take it that people like Ron Edwards and Robin D. Laws are not academics, as it seems quite apparent to me that they are writing about RPGs, as that's really the only stuff I've looked into, to be honest, Um, which is where I, you know, I worry about getting out of my depth. And I I assume when you, uh, you talk about the theory and you invoke Chris McDowell 
I assume you're talking about the diegetic and non-diegetic stuff he was talking about on his blog. I think I have a slightly more forgiving attitude to him not citing sources and stuff as, you know, I'm not particularly academic myself. I or anybody else wouldn't class me as an ap- academic. As an ac- I can't even say it. <laughs> but he has put out a couple of interesting YouTube videos about the computer games he's played that informed what he wanted to do with Into the Odd and Electric Bastion Land. I think possibly like me, he sees these terms, looks into what they mean, and then uh, they inform his thinking without him referencing stuff. <laughs> I guess you can hear me leap into Chris's defence there, but, you know, totally valid point, Dave. If you are, you know, going to be publishing stuff informed by other people's work, then, you know, perhaps you should be citing them. I don't know. What do I know? Uh, You know, I certainly wouldn't mind seeing more stuff written about role-playing game theory. Yeah, bring it on. Thanks for your message. Uh, Next up, I've got um, an extended message emailed to me by Liren from updates from the middle of nowhere. Hey Spencer, it's Liren from updates from the middle of nowhere. I am actually in the car alone, so I have some time to listen. So I thought I would start at the current episode and work backwards on a couple of shows. You know, I love discussion of game theory and game design and game mechanics and mechanisms or whatever the correct word for that is. I think that it can be, um, it's very, very important that the people who are listening to those episodes remember that the person who's talking is talking about their experience and what they enjoy in a game. And it's important that each individual person not take that to mean that what they're saying is this is the right way to play a game or this is the only good way to play a game or or, or anything else. I mean, it's so interesting to me that... I initially, before I ever got emerged in all of this, I always thought that uh, D&D was just about rolling dice. And, you know, that's just based on my one experience that I've talked about a lot of my podcast with the one friend I had who I rode horses with who played D&D. And all he ever talked about was rolling dice and killing things. And uh, so what I've realized is it's really people play all different ways. And I think that is one of the fascinating things about the whole experience of RPGs. You know, if you uh, play in a game with a different GM, you get a different game style, even if you're playing the same game. That has been a very interesting experience for me. And I enjoy it a lot. You know, I'm, I think that if you are the kind of person who can roll with the punches and enjoy the people you're with, then Uh, It's a lot easier to play in games that are of different types and styles and not worry about, am I doing this right or am I doing this wrong? I will say that when I have had a couple of experiences playing with people who I'm closer to, people I know in real life, uh, or or even people that I'm face-to-face with. I mean, even for me, that's a little bit different experience, being as inexperienced in um, just role-playing as I am. Uh, I think that when I play with people who I know pretty well... I'm so relaxed about if I do it right. And I don't think I do it better or worse when I'm relaxed. I I really just think that I I enjoy it a little bit more. But it isn't that I don't enjoy the times I'm gaming with people I don't know, you know? So 
Uh, if I am in a game with people who I don't know anyone in that game, for example, uh, one of the games that I played in, I know TJ and I know Cody from um, Audio Dungeon Discord, but like I don't know them personally, and I didn't know the other people who were playing in the Darker Trails game that I played in. Um, I played in one that TJ GM'd and one that Cody GM'd, and um, I, you know, it was a very different experience, each one. I enjoyed both of them, They, regardless of the fact they were different. So anyway, I think my point is, I'm rambling all over the place, aren't I? Uh, I think my point is, it, it's not, for me, I think it's super important to remember that this is about spending time with other people and doing something enjoyable. And I think that it's easy to get caught up in anxiety and stress about doing it right and doing it perfect. And um, I, I'll tell you, I am working on researching running a game myself just because Jeff keeps saying he thinks I would enjoy it. Uh, we'll see if I do or not. I don't know. Um, but I feel a lot of stress around that. I, you know, I'm really having to pep talk myself about, whoa, whoa, relax, take a deep breath. You don't have to get everything perfect. And the good news for me is that the one I'm going to run is a PBTA variant. So it's a story game. I enjoy story games a lot. Uh, I also know that I like the fact that all of the players work together to tell the story. So it isn't completely on me to have every element of the story and share it. Uh, however, if I was the type of person who needed to know exactly what was coming or I would feel really uncomfortable or out of sorts, uh, my son, who's on the autism spectrum, I think that if he hadn't gamed a lot with us in, in like kind of story gaming settings, I think he would really struggle with that. Um, he's never run a game, but I suspect he could. And I think that he might even be able to enjoy letting other people develop some of the elements. But I will say that if he had never gamed it before, I could see him getting really, really stressed out about not knowing exactly what to expect. So I think that um, it's everyone who listens and everyone who does podcasting, you know, we're all in different situations, right? And that's what makes it awesome. That's what makes them fun to listen to. I also think that it's incumbent on each person who's listening to a podcast to remember that the person who's making that podcast is not singling them out and speaking directly to them and saying something specifically about them. I know that sometimes when I hear people say bad things about story gaming, I can kind of bristle about that. And I try really hard to then pep talk myself and go, hold on, they're not saying anything about you. And whatever, if they don't enjoy it, they shouldn't do it. I mean, it's like getting mad at someone for being a dog person instead of a cat person, right? I, I mean, I don't even think they're that opposite, actually. But but my point is, I, you know, hopefully I'm making my point in this long rambling message. Clearly, I'm very out of practice leaving messages after this long. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to speak up to say that I think it's wonderful to talk about game design and and the mechanisms or mechanics, whichever word, you know, um, and and talk about what we enjoy about gaming, the different ways that we've gamed, partially because as a person who's about to run a game, I am super curious about how other people run games and what elements they include. And, and for example, I have found that I really, it stresses me out to play games where my character is constantly in peril of death. 
And it's so funny to me to listen to people talk about how, well, it's not role playing if everyone couldn't die in that session. And I'm like, wow, that would not be fun for me at all. Like I, I don't, that would just stress me out. And that is also some, excuse me, something that I have tried to pep talk myself around because a couple times I've played in games where my character has been in direct peril and, uh, I, the first couple times it happened, I didn't immediately notice how reactive I was about it and how it really jacks up my personal stress level. I'm not a naturally stressed out person, I don't think. I tend to be fairly easygoing, especially when like trying a new game or whatever. But um, I, it's funny to me, I really, I'll tell you one of the times I really realized that it was playing in Barney from Loco Lewis in his playtest, and he put us in a scenario where our characters were all pretty much immediately in direct danger. And I, there is nothing wrong with that. I'm no judgment whatsoever. I just realized after, I mean, it was probably, goodness, it was after the session, uh, when I really realized, oh my gosh, I was like feeling some stress about that. And I'll tell you what made me think about that was the fact that I was just obsessed with stopping those tribesmen from shooting an arrow into a tree across the river. And I kept thinking to myself, why was I so obsessed with that? Like, <laughs> how come that I was so focused on that, you know? And I realized that the reason why was because my stress level, and I mean, when I say it's not like I was chewing my nails and, you know, about to throw up or have a panic attack. I just mean, I'm not a naturally stressed out person. So when, uh, afterwards, when I thought about it, I went, Oh, that makes a little more sense. Why I was so very focused on that because that was the thing that was making me feel like my character was in direct peril. Right? So anyways, wow. I don't want to look at how long this is. I'm just going to go ahead and send it. I, you absolutely are under no obligation as always to play this on your show. I just wanted to share because I think it's really easy for us to lose track of the fact that people are not always directly talking about us. So I am working on that and I hope everyone else will. And, uh, I love the fact that you guys talk about that stuff. So I hope that everyone continues to talk about that because I think it's wonderful. I do. I'm I think that hearing how other people play and what they enjoy and how they run games, I, that's one of the reasons I listen. So anyways, I hope that you're doing well. I hope that your little girl is doing well. Uh, I, I feel so hunkered down personally. I need to record another episode. I might do that uh, this afternoon. I'll have a little more time in the car. But anyway, I just wanted to uh, call in. I had a lot of thoughts about that and I wanted to share. All right, have a good one. The road is long With many winding turns Actually, they're all pretty straight over there, I think, aren't they? Um, thank you for a wonderful extended message there, Liren. And I'm going to put my foot down here. The correct word is mechanics. I'm joking. Obviously, you know, Use whatever term you like. We all know what we're talking about, don't we? For a change. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, the whole idea of storytelling being a derogatory term doesn't cut it with me. As you point out, the wonderful thing about this hobby is the sheer variety of styles of game there are. I mean, that is its strength, isn't it? It quite tickled me what you said about... Um, well, it isn't an RPG unless everyone's getting killed. Um, 
I've noticed that uh, since Dave Aldridge has embraced old school essentials, I think he's finding that that system might even be a little too lethal for his own tastes, judging by the amount of characters that are being dispatched over just a handful of sessions. I don't really think I have anything else to add. Just thank you for a wonderful message, and it's always great to hear from you. So, at this point, I was going to launch into a discussion about the Risby Ickwell incident, Barney's Bone. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Barney Dicker of Loco Ludus was playing in Andy Goodman's Call of Cthulhu game, along with myself, Colin Spikepit Green, and Scott Dorwood from the good friends of Jackson Elias. Um, just a brief description of what occurred. Our first major clue, I guess you could call it, was locating a bone in a museum, which would lead us to the archaeologist who donated it. Barney Dicker's character, Hector Risby Ickwell, being an archaeologist and being from that area, claimed that he himself had donated the bone before the significance of that bone had been revealed. Andy's response to this was to not go with Barney's suggestion, the upshot of which being that Risby Ickwell was talking nonsense, and to be fair, that certainly didn't run counter to the kind of gung-ho maniac that that Risby Ickwell turned out to be. So the game the game didn't grind to a halt, but Andy was um I don't think Andy was entirely happy with how he handled that situation. To cut a long story short, there was a lot of back and forth between Barney and Andy on Andy's podcast, Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks, and also some further discussion on Jason Connolly's podcast, The Nerds RPG Variety Cast. At the time, I felt like I had something to add to the discussion, but there's been a lot of kind of re-examination and self-reflection of what occurred there, and um, it's all been very interesting. And as a result, I don't feel that I actually have anything to add, only that you should listen to those exchanges because... Personally, I feel it's a great example of how how best to deal with clashes in play style. I mean, at the end of the day, it wasn't really much of a situation at all because it didn't halt play. And the following session, well, that was even more crazy. But it was nothing but fun because Andy just went with it and a good time was had by all. And that's what it's all about, really. So in light of that, I'm going to use the rest of this episode to revisit the subject of alignment and share a couple of calls I received about that. (laughs) 
So I've got a few messages from Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast and John Allen Large of Red Dice Diaries RPG Podcast. I'm going to just play those messages because, um, well, just because it makes sense to address them both together. Hey, Spencer, Jason here. Interesting episode on alignment. The reason Scruffy had an issue with the throat-cutting incident wasn't because um, the thief was cutting their throats, but it was because he said there were abominations. That was the reason. And so, you know, you have this human thief talking about goblins as an abomination, you know, and the dwarf not being human either was wary because if he views goblins as abomination, what other you know, species or life forms does he view as abominations? So that was the thought process I had there. You know, was this a um, a humanist thief that, you, you know, felt humans were superior to everybody else, that kind of thing. So that was the thought process behind looking at him warily. Um, it, it was just the term an abomination. It wasn't so much the cutting of throats. And I'm going to leave you another message to follow up. So I think alignment's a tricky thing. I think it can... So I think there are two ways alignment can work. One is if you're rolling up a random character and you roll up randomly, and this works better if you have a wider array of alignments, but you use it as motivation for the character to help, you know, may, maybe not so much ongoing process in the world with, you know, lawful neutral swords and only work for lawful neutral characters, but the idea of helping you figure out your character's motivation. So I think it works there. Um, but at that point, it's a one and done. It's a character creation thing. But in D&D and like OSE, you know, with the three basic alignments, law, neutral, and chaos, I think there's a lot to that. And I think it's valuable if you inhabit the right mind space of the what the game creators had. And to that, we need to look back to war games. We need to look back to Michael Moorcock. So you've probably read the Eternal Champion novels. If not, I recommend you check them out. But basically, there's two, for, you know, you have law and chaos or vying for control. And law isn't good and chaos isn't necessarily bad. They're just two opposing sides. But you need you either align with one of these great sides or you're neutral and you just, you're out for yourself. So neutral is not so much about Buddhist balance, although you could definitely play it that way. And it could be that way for, for you, you know, if that's the way you want to approach it. But typically, I look at neutral just as... Not wanting to be evolved, selfish, kind of like you're Sweden, right? You don't want to be, now that Sweden's a bad example, but you know, the person that doesn't want to get involved. Um, although at some point, like Kitty Gen- Genovese, there, there's a lady in New York that was, you know, being attacked and murdered in an alleyway. And, peop- and people heard it, but didn't, nobody called 911 because nobody wanted to get involved in a famous case. And, you know, that, were they being neutral? Yes, but does that, does that inaction then, you know, is that failure to act an evil thing? Maybe now we're getting more into a, you know, a, more arguments here. So let, let's let's leave poor Kitty there and move back into the fantasy world where it's a little safer. So to me, a neutral character just doesn't want to get involved. Um, and Or not, darn it, <laughs> I'm tired. Um, it, a neutral character is looking out for their own interests. So if, if it's in their interest to break the law, they will. They're not bad, though. So if somebody's being murdered, they might very well get involved. You know, they're not going to align with, they're not going to just, you know, necessarily kill kids because it's in their interest, right? But if downloading illegal PDFs is in their interest, then they're going to do it. 
you know, you know that kind of that's kind of a neutral character. You, you know, if, if evading their cheating on their taxes a little bit, they're going to do that, right? But it's more they don't want to get involved. Now I'm out in the weeds, so let me pull this back in. You ever forget how many messages you've left, and so you're having problems numbering them? I have that problem. Anyhow, so really, for a fantasy world, for OSC, and in a world with gods where we know gods exist and superpower, these supernatural supernatural powers exist, right? I I think the law and or chaos thing makes sense. So you're either aligning with one aligning with one set of gods, you're aligning with another set of gods or powers. You know, they don't have to be gods, but the powers. Or you're not wanting to be involved in conflict at all, and you're trying to keep your head low and ignore it. Kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi was on Tatooine. He was keeping his head low. He wasn't getting, you know. He was probably neutral when he was there on Tatooine, right? Because he's trying to keep his head low. So that's like neutral. And then, like, say, Long Chaos, they can be good and evil, but, you know, look at Moorcock's example. They're not necessarily good and evil. Um, but you're aligning with one side or the other. And with these, you know, with, with real gods and the... In the mix in these games, you can understand how that would happen. You know, it's one thing to say, "Oh, I'm a Christian," or "Oh, I'm a pagan." In our world today, and and there are people that are they're very strongly touched by their faith and, and have had experiences, and I'm not downplaying that at all. But it's another thing where you see clerics of gods manifesting actual it, results of these gods' actions every day. You see the power of those deities. In, in the world, you know, it's the chances of aligning with one side or the other is much greater, right? So that's kind of where that comes from. And in, and I mentioned war games. In the war games course, it's just so you can divide your forces. You know, so, you know, back in the day, and if you look in chain mail or look in the, in the old war game books, you know, the characters have alignments. I'm sorry, the units have alignments because that way you know how to build your armies. So that was kind of it in there. But really, you have to think of the more Moorcock idea of... um just two forces vying each other, and man's kind of insignificant in there. So we're back to like the Cthulhu thing, right? Where where these great powers... It, it's a little different than Cthulhu, because the great powers in this do use men as pawns. You know, kind of like, um, you know, your, your Norse pantheon, where, or your Greek pantheons, you, you know, you look where men are used as pawns by the gods. And, you know, so that's true in, in these worlds. Usually the, you know, the, the race, the... The people, the mortals are used as, as pawns by these powers, but it's really these great powers. Um, in fact, we'll pick that up in our Keep episode because Paul F. Wilson uses a similar dynamic to the Law and Chaos. He has a similar dynamic going on in his world, in, in, in all his books, which the Keep is the first of those books. So I'll leave it at that and bid you adieu. Hey there, Spencer. I've just been listening to your alignment episode with interest. Very much enjoyed that. Thought I'd record this as an MP3 because it might get a bit long. Personally, when it comes to alignment, I like to take the Lamentations of the Flame Princess track where it's talking about your orientation on a cosmic scale. So to give you a bit of a flavour of how that works, here's what the Lamentations book says about it. Lawful alignment. The universe has an ultimate irrefutable truth and a flawless unchanging plan to which all events inevitably march. As time moves on, all distraction and resistance to this plan falters until everyone is, everything is in its perfect state forevermore, without alteration of the possibility of possibilities. Those who are lawful in alignment are part of an inevitable destiny, but have no knowledge of what that destiny is and what their role will be in fulfilling it. They are forever looking for signs and omens to show them the proper way. Chaotic Alignment 
The howling maelstrom beyond, the veil of shadows and existence is the source of all magic. It bends and tears the fabric of the universe, destroying all that seeks to be permanent. It allows great miracles, as reality alters at the whim of those who can call on eldritch forces. And it causes catastrophe as the beings we call demons rip into our reality and lay waste to all. Everything that is made will be unmade. Nothing exists, nothing can ever exist, not in the way that the cosmos can recognise. Those who are chaotic in alignment are touched by magic and consider the world in terms of ebbing and flowing energy. Of eternal tides washing away the sandcastles that great kings and mighty gods build for themselves. Many mortals who are so aligned desperately wish they were not. Neutral alignment. To be neutral is merely to exist between the forces of law and chaos. Mortal beings exist as neutral creatures and remain so throughout their existence unless taking specific steps, often unwittingly, to align themselves otherwise. In fact, most beings would be rather displeased with the notion of pure law and chaos, as they are defined in alignment terms. Even those who would claim allegiance to law or chaos are not actually lawful or chaotic. In the real world, every human being that has ever existed has been neutral. So that's how I like to see it, you know, just a bit of a sort of bit of a sort of cosmic allegiance there, but like the vast majority of people are neutral. So it still allows you like a bit of a flavour of alignment if you want to have like your extreme villains or your extreme sort of like lawful beings. But it means that like you don't have to be overly fussed with it because most people are neutral at the end of the day. Anyway, that's just my thoughts and that's just what I prefer. Enjoy the episode, dude. Take care and I'll catch you soon. Thanks for those messages, Jason and John. In response to Jason's first point regarding his dwarf's reaction to my thief, yeah, I figured it was what the thief said that caused him to raise an eyebrow, not his actions, because obviously the, the dwarf was with me in in slitting the throats, it seemed. Um, but I'm surprised the dwarf would consider himself to be... <laughs> bundled him with goblins considering he's a demi-human but but it was interesting to be uh, playing with a lawful character with a zeal of a zealot wanting to cull these chaotic creatures unfortunately his mission was short-lived as in the next encounter he got himself caught up in the mandibles of a giant ant so There really is no justice in the world, is there? To my eternal shame, I've not read Eternal Champions. I have read some Moorcock, and I am familiar with his take on law and chaos as cosmic forces. And uh, I see that Lamentations, it seems pretty much in line with that. And thanks for that reading, John. I still favour the idea that a Buddhist would be more neutral than anything else. And that the whole kind of eternal struggle of law and chaos is something of a more monotheistic idea. I don't know. You might want to uh, educate me about that. But it seems that when you are considering polytheism, there are gods that represent all kinds of forces, not necessarily good or bad. Maybe more of a semitic idea but uh yeah anyway we're getting back in the real world we don't want to do that yeah and i can't say i've ever downloaded an illegal pdf in in a fantasy setting i'm not particularly willing to discuss goings on in the real world if you don't mind
interesting what you say about uh, Kitty Genovese there. I think that story has been somewhat debunked in that the actual series of events were not as reported at the time. And uh, yeah, I don't really think it has anything to do with alignment. Not in RPGs at any rate. At the end of the day, I think I'm always going to favour neutral characters if alignment is in play. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much for those messages, guys. Well, that's about enough from me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off the Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.